Welcome to the Aspire Podcast, a podcast all about the diverse stories of those who have aspired into vocational Christian ministry. As we share people's stories, we hope to excite, encourage, and equip you to consider what it would mean to aspire towards vocational Christian ministry. Simon Gillum is the Vice Principal and Head of Ministry and Mission at Moore Theological College. Simon, thank you so much for coming on the Aspire podcast. That's a pleasure, Aaron. Well, you had a very interesting upbringing. You actually spent some time originally in the Northern Territory. Tell me about that. Yeah, my earliest memories are living in Arnhem Land uh, in a place uh, then called Owenpelli. It's now uh, Numbawa. Um, My dad uh, was in charge of a road building operation up there for a number of years, um, putting the road through from Darwin to Arnhem Land. Uh, and uh, yeah, after Cyclone Tracy, we decided it was time to leave. But yeah, lots of joyful memories and um, still in touch with some of the friends we made up there. Fascinating. You then yeah. jumped into the Hunter Valley, growing up there, going to school there. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I grew up by Lake Macquarie um, and uh, and had a, had a great time, loved it. At that time, Lake Macquarie, Newcastle, uh, was all about coal mines, power stations and BHP. And um, most of my mates uh, did apprenticeships and went into uh, into that kind of work. That, that was the world that I was part of. Mm. Um, loved school, uh, didn't do much work, uh, didn't get very good marks, but uh, <laughs> I kind of hung out there and enjoyed it. Um, and as a consequence of that, by the end of school, I was, uh, you know, I had just the right kind of HSC to go into being a builder's labourer, uh, which is what I did after I left school. Mm-hmm. Now, some people might think that people who go into ministry kind of always knew that they wanted to go into ministry from the get-go, but that really wasn't the case for you. You spent some time in labouring and then you ended up in the police force. What happened there? Well, um, although I grew up in a Christian home, mum and dad are both Christian and wonderful examples uh, to us, uh, I was actually a thoroughgoing hypocrite. So I wasn't a Christian, much less thinking about going into Christian ministry. Um, yeah, when I was in the police, um, so I moved from the Hunter down to Sydney, uh, well, Goulburn first, then Sydney, and uh, and my moorings were cut loose. And so uh, I was no longer a hypocrite because I didn't even have the facade of being a Christian. But a couple of years into that experience and just faced daily with the kind of death and mayhem that police see, uh, I started to ask the big questions of life. You know, surely there's more to life than what I'm seeing and touching right here. Surely there's more going on. Uh, and what, what does it all mean? Is there any purpose to all of this? So I started asking those big questions and I had a Christian heritage to draw back on but I didn't know the gospel Um, and so at that point um, my sister and her boyfriend uh, now husband um, for 30 years but 30 years ago my sister uh, dragged me along to church and um, uh, and somebody followed up read the Bible with me uh, reading through Romans Uh, I kind of lived Romans as we were reading through it and so I got that the gospel was glorious, still didn't get quite why. I got that God was angry and his wrath was being unleashed. And in fact, not only was the world broken and sinful, but I was one of those people. So I, I really felt the weight of that. I was a pretty judgmental unbeliever up until then. I thought the problems were all with everybody else. Uh, and so when I finally got to Romans 3.20 and the big but... 
but now a righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, it was a huge weight lifting from my shoulders. Uh, and so we'd only been reading the Bible together for about five or six weeks by this stage, uh, but it just all dropped into place. Uh, so I felt all those Bible stories from my childhood and whatever came rushing back and suddenly found a place to fit. Um, so, that, yeah, that's how I came to fight. Mm, so good. Yeah. And from there, you decided to do some theological education and thought about ministering in Newcastle. How did that, yeah. how did that then come about? Well, it was actually in the church we were at at the time, uh, we were preaching through a series in Matthew's Gospel, uh, and, uh, and our minister, Al Stewart, was talking about discipleship and the call for discipleship. That was a, obviously a theme running through Matthew's Gospel. Um, and it just struck me at the time, I was working as a field trainer in the police. So my job was to take rookies and to work side by side with them for eight years. Mm. Uh, to do life with them as I trained them to be police. Interesting. I'm hearing all this discipleship stuff in church <laughs> and thinking about what I do for work. Yeah. I'm thinking, I, I'm a disciple. <laughs> That's what I already do. But I'm actually discipling people to stick Band-Aids on the world's problems. Mm. And I'd, I'd rather disciple people to make an eternal difference. Uh, and so that was the, the real kind of trigger point for me where I started to think about what it might look like. Uh, to be trained up to do this for life, uh, to introduce people to Jesus and help them to walk with him. Hmm. Yeah, so that, that that for me was what led me to be thinking about ministry. Uh, my wife Margie and I had actually met as kids uh, in the Newcastle Anglican Diocese. Uh, we lived at, uh, at that stage an hour and a half apart from one another, but we were both involved in these Newcastle Diocese things. And so as we were thinking about where we thought God might call us into ministry, uh, we were thinking it was going to go back into the Newcastle Anglican Diocese. Uh, so we trained with that thing in mind. And then after uh, came to Moore College, after three years at Moore College, uh, went up to Newcastle uh, with, with that in mind and spent five years working in the Newcastle Diocese. Mm. What was it like at Moore College back in the, what was it, the 90s? It was the <laughs> 90s, that's right. Yeah, mid-90s. Um, uh, it was great. Uh, it was extraordinary for me. When I got to college, um, so I'd spent my life as a builder's labourer and working with criminals and, uh, and police officers, and, um, and I, had, I had all kinds of bad habits, and I was suddenly, you know, shoulder to shoulder with all these nice Christian people. And I was terrified that I was just going to blow it in conversation, that I was going to swear or say something inappropriate. And so I was pretty apprehensive to start with. Um, I'd never studied. And so coming to college, um, I just kind of scraped through to start with. That was, um, yeah, that was a real struggle for me. So I was, I was not just uh, learning theology, I was learning how to read, how to study well. Um, on the application to come to Moore College back in the day, you used to have to uh, list the five books that had influenced you most. Um, I can only think of four books that I'd read. Two of them were HSC English textbooks. Um, and so uh, so I needed to read another book, and, uh, and I knew that the principal of the time, Peter Jensen, had written a little book. So I thought, there's a go. Uh, I read his book, and that was my fifth book. Uh, but he saw straight through me. Um, it, yeah, had this lovely interview with him 
where he said, this is a very interesting list of books you've got here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it would be. I felt welcomed and loved it. Uh, Loved it. Loved my time at college. Grew enormously and made lifelong friends who've been a wonderful support over the last 25 or more years. That's wonderful. So you spent some time in Newcastle and then you had this crazy idea to plant a church in Maitland and set up the FIAC, the Fellowship of International Evangelical Christians. What happened there? How did that all come about? Yeah, well, uh, the the idea of planting a church was uh, was something that was just um, starting to bubble away then, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And, um, uh, and there, there was a desperate need for churches um, in the Hunter Valley. Uh, so we we were living and working in Musselbrook, uh, and we had a number of people who'd been converted under our ministry in Musselbrook, and then had moved an hour away to Maitland. My wife grew up in Maitland, and we just became aware of um, quite a large number of people who we knew who lived in that area and couldn't find anywhere to go to church. Um, and we we actually originally had the idea that we'd get somebody else to go do that, and uh, after not finding anybody else to go do that. We thought this is this is too good an opportunity to not do ourselves. Then, uh, so we're involved in planning that church. Started with six families, and um, we we're blessed with a partnership with uh, what's now EV Church, uh, the Lakes Church, and Hunter Bible Church. Uh, together, they, uh, each of those three churches kicked in a couple of grand to get us started, and um, we lived in my uh, my mother-in-law's garage and. Uh, you know, within a year, we're up and running. Mm, that's wonderful. Do you have any yeah. special memories from those times of church planning? Oh, uh, look, that that is still the church that I feel is our home church. Uh, the relationships we made with people there are so formative. We're blessed to see many people come to faith at that time and to, to watch others who'd been Christian uh, but not uh, been exposed to Bible teaching regularly. Uh, just grow enormously. So it was a wonderful and exciting time. It was really, um, yeah, still our our kind of idealised version of church. Uh, and every time we go back, I, I'm doing an evangelistic talk there next month. I, yeah, love every opportunity to go back. And Roger and Carolyn, who have taken over from us and have now been there much longer than we were, um, are doing a fantastic job leading that place. Yeah. The next part of your story was ending up in Namibia. How the heck did mm. that happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my wife and I had been supporters of um, the Church Missionary Society, CMS. Um, uh, well, I grew up on that mission station in the Northern Territory. Um, and certainly after we went to the Hunter, we regularly went uh, to a thing that happens in the mountains here uh, west of Sydney, Uh, called CMS Summer School. It runs for a week in January as a kind of first thing of the year, and that was our habit. Um, Hear great Bible teaching, fellowship with with like-minded Christian people, but particularly in that week, hear about the mission needs all over the world. And that really, over years, um, opened our eyes to the, the gospel needs in other parts of the world. And the thing that particularly triggered us uh, was the need for uh, training of gospel workers, uh, and particularly in Africa. Uh, so after one of these summer schools um, in in January, 
Uh, we went from there back to our church in Maitland. Uh, the church had been running for about five years at this stage. And we had an evangelistic summer mission that was happening the very next week. In that evangelistic summer mission, there were programs running all day and all night, all sorts of things going on. But as the senior pastor of the church, there was only one thing I had to do, and that was to preach uh, on the last Sunday, the kind of culmination thing. There were other people doing all of these ministries already. And not only that, but when I stood up to speak evangelistically on the last Sunday, I looked out and I realised that within our congregation, there were four other people who had theology degrees. And I've just spent a week hearing about these desperate needs where there are tens of thousands of people and nobody well-trained mm. to teach them the Bible and pastor them, and yet we are, we are so abundantly resourced in this part of the world. Uh, and that got under our skin, and so we uh, we went to, uh, to mission agencies and said, do you think we could be useful? Is there anything we could do? Um, but initially they said, look, go away and think about this some, some more. There, there's that kind of work to be done on six continents. You've got to think about it and come back with a bit, a bit more detail, <laughs> uh, which we did. And, uh, yeah, a couple of years later, that led us to go out onto the mission field uh, to Namibia. Mm. So we lived and worked in Namibia for eight years. Mm. You were a lecturer for four of those, but then you were a principal of a theological mm. college. What was that like, being a principal in a foreign land, what was kind of your mm. aims and goals while you were there? What was it like working with students? I'm sure very different to the yeah. students you'd encountered in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, well, yeah, so it's interesting. Some differences and some things are just exactly the same. So, um, the, yeah, I, I guess that um, the hunger, the, the depth of gratitude from the students was something that was, was probably a bit more acute in Africa. Mm. Uh, they really were desperately hungry. Uh, to be taught and trained, uh, and so there was a there's, there's a great joy in teaching in that kind of an environment. Um, and even when I was the principal, I, I'd still say the primary thing I was doing there was teaching. Um, I was a discipler. That's that's the the main game. Um, uh, being a principal was actually not part of the plan. And if there was a Namibian who was able to do the job at the time. Uh, I would have much rather to have a Namibian boss and for me to be supporting that person. Mm. Um, but un under God at the time, there just wasn't anybody uh, who, who was able to do that. And so, um, yeah, so I was prepared to do it, but I wasn't actually looking for the role. Um, there, there are all sorts of dangers. I think you're alluding to this. There's all kinds of dangers with foreigners being in charge of things on the mission field. Uh, we don't get culture particularly well, uh, never as well as a local gets mm. it. And we make mistakes that are um, you know, not willfully, but sometimes the mistakes we make are significant and distort the gospel that we preach um, unwittingly. And so to have Namibian colleagues, uh, ideally a Namibian boss would have been great, but I had really good Namibian colleagues that I could continue to bounce things backwards and forwards with to just try and get a little bit sharper and make sure I was speaking in a way where what I thought I was saying was actually what the other people were hearing. Um, I had really good Namibian friends that helped me with that. Um, but, yeah, there are all kinds of shortcomings for me as a foreign boss in that place. Mm. There might be a bunch of listeners who are thinking about 
doing theological education in a cross-cultural setting. What was kind mm. of your purpose when you were there? Talk us through kind of the, the, the broader kind of purpose of theological education in those settings. Yeah. Well, just the same as here. It's at its heart. It's about discipling. Mm. Uh, but you're actually discipling with a, with a bit more of a tighter focus. You're wanting to disciple leaders. Uh, and so training people for leadership, equipping them for leadership, um, that's, that's what you're doing. Um, but it's called theological education because it's, the, the way that you do that is you actually know God. So theology is knowing God. And theological education at its heart has got to be about learning God or knowing God better, more deeply, more accurately, more personally, more intimately. Or So growing in that knowledge of God is at the heart of how you get equipped to lead God's people. Mm. So that, that's at the heart of what we do. Obviously, teaching the Bible is the primary way in which that happens. But uh, you do that in relationships. So this is a, a difficulty, as it said, for, for people who are doing that cross-culturally. Um, the, the gospel doesn't change. The information doesn't change. But how you convey that in a culturally appropriate way, how you relate to people, uh, and that this happens in the context of relationships is really, really important. Um, so ideally, I think that's, that's going and staying long enough that you actually understand well, build relationships of trust, um, have people from that culture that are able to call you out and call you back. Um, they're, they're the things that I encourage people who are thinking about that. I, I think there's another thing I often come across as well. Um, I, I get a bit put off when people tell me their goal is to be involved in theological education. Now, <laughs> now, I've, I've been in it myself for more than 15 years, so it's not that I think it's a bad thing. But often when that's the goal that people talk about, uh, what they have in mind is information, is academia, is, um, is a particular kind of ministry that maybe is less people-focused. Mm. And that really scares me. That really worries me. I don't want people in theological education who like reading books more than talking to people. Um, and so uh, if people want to be involved in training others for ministry, uh, that's, that's really great. Um, but if you want to be involved in training others for ministry, the first question they're going to ask you is, okay, well, tell me what ministry you've done. Uh, why should I listen to you? And so um, I think as I particularly talk to young people who are keen on being involved in theological education, I want to shape that conversation more in the discipling um, uh, frame, uh, and so that it's actually more about uh, equipping people for ministry. Uh, and one of the tools we might use to do that is a system of theological education. Mm. But it's not the goal, it's just a tool. Mm. That's really helpful. You spent mm. quite a long time in Namibia, but then you actually came back to more college to be a mm. lecturer. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Yeah. How did that occur? Um, I was tapped on the shoulder by good friends, <laughs> largely. Um, and, and the heart of the argument is this. Uh, while I stayed in Namibia, I could do one person's job. That's all I was ever going to be capable of. Uh, but if I could come back to Australia 
and raise up two other people to go, I've already doubled what I could have done. Um, and I am blessed to have uh, students here who are far more capable than me. And you know, God willing, we'll get, go on to do extraordinary things. Uh, and so uh, my intention is to be here for a season. Um, I'd really love to go back to Africa, but uh, that's a bigger conversation. Mm. Um, but my intention is to be here for a season. And while I'm here, uh, to encourage and spur on many others uh, to go out into the mission field to do all sorts of things. But one of the things I do want Australian Christians to think about particularly is if you've been really well uh, discipled, formed, uh, theologically trained and equipped, uh, you, you ought to think that, uh, about whether God may be able to use that kind of experience and those gifts uh, to equip parts of the world where those things are not um, not as prevalent. Mm. So friends in Africa, that um, one of the first things I did when I got to um, NETS was I canned a course on church planting, oh. cut it out, um, which as a person who'd already planted two churches by then uh, might seem a strange thing. But um, teaching Africans to church plant is like teaching people to drink water. <laughs> you don't need a course on that. They'll just go and do it. Um, what they really needed help with was growing uh, uh, to maturity, growing to depth. Mm. Um, they can teach us about church planning. They can teach us about evangelism. Uh, and so recognising uh, where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are and under God what he's gifted other people with, with their strengths and weaknesses mm. means that I don't turn up there thinking I've got all the answers, uh, but I think we're, I've got something to offer in this little piece and I, and I really want to learn about these other things. Hmm. I love that whole line of we don't just go over to learn, or to, sorry, to teach others, but they teach us as well in the process, which I think is a very admirable, yeah, sure. humble thing to say. Let's talk a little bit about more college. As people listening are thinking about theological colleges, which one should I go to? Yes. Obviously, more college has been around for a while and it's done some great things and continues to, to do so today. What are some things that are kind of distinct about more college? Yeah, well, uh, been around for a while is right. So uh, it was actually the first um, institution of higher education uh, approved for Australia. Um, now, Sydney University across the road got their buildings up earlier, uh, so they're the first. Uh, but more college, its history goes back more than 170 years, um, which for people listening from the other, the rest of the world, uh, they won't think that's very much, but here in Australia, uh, <laughs> Us uh, people from European backgrounds in Australia think that's a long time. Um, and the heritage is strong. So all over that time, the college has been raising up people for mission work, particularly in the early days into the South Pacific, uh, as well as all around Australia, um, and with a particular focus on the Anglican Church. So it's, a, it's an Anglican college uh, in uh, what was the first diocese, so the first Anglican college in Australia. That, that's the heritage, uh, and that's still a, a big chunk of what happens. So about a third of our students go into Anglican ordained ministry. Um, but it's a third. Two-thirds are not going into that. Uh, so, um, yeah, so while that's a distinctive, it's by no means um, a, a uniform thing. Mm. Uh, there's a, a wonderful breadth of different ministries that people are being trained up for. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the real joys. I think in terms of 
contemporary distinctives. Uh, one of the things that is now making Moore College more and more distinctive is that uh, there are some areas that we haven't changed in, where a lot of other colleges have made a lot more uh, changes and adjustments. So we have a very intentional focus on full-time uh, residential training. Uh, that's not all we do, but that's the main part, the bread and butter of what we do. Uh, and we, uh, we have students come through the college as cohorts. So uh, they get to know one another over four years by doing almost everything together. So they live together, they do classes together, they go on mission together, they're in uh, chaplaincy groups and prayer groups together, um, and we learn God together. And because we have that, um, that strong sense of, uh, of a community, and of being here full-time residential for, for four years, most people. Uh, that means each year we can build on the things that happened in the previous year. So every class I, can, I walk into, I know what I can build on uh, because I know what people have done before. Because I think it's much more common in theological education now that people want to pick and choose what they do and people will do subjects in different orders and, um, and, and pick specialties and things like that. Um, yeah, so one of our distinctives is that uh, we don't do that so much. We're more of a blackboard menu than the LR cart. Mm -hmm. There's a real area of interest across the world, I reckon, in kind of spiritual formation, making sure that leaders mm -hmm. don't just kind of fall off the rails at some point in their ministry, because sadly we've obviously seen that happen a little bit mm -hmm. over the last few years. What's kind of the the kind of grid or model of formation you met, you're kind of you're speaking a little bit about that now, just kind of living together. Yeah. I know you're interested in theological models, so can you talk a little bit about mm. that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, so I think that's the heart of it. The learning in community is the heart of it, that actually what happens in the classroom is only a fraction of what goes into forming a person for ministry within our college, and our college is only a fraction of what goes on within the person's whole life. So we expect every student here to be involved in a student ministry position where they're actively involved in a, mostly in local churches, but some in other kinds of Christian ministries as well. Uh, and that that's integrated uh, into what they're learning in a classroom is really important. Um, that the people they're living alongside of are able to disciple them as well. So it's not just that lecturers disciple students, but in large part, uh, students are discipling one another. Uh, along the way as well. Uh, it's the little conversations that happen incidentally uh, in the queue for lunch or um, you know, as you're hanging up the washing next to, the, uh, next to your neighbour or, or having a barbecue or whatever it is. It's often the little incidental opportunities that enable somebody to say, hey, look, I just noticed when you did that, this is what it looked like. And that can often be the trigger for a real moment of, of great spiritual growth. Um, I, I've seen you've just been looking down at the moment. What can I pray for? Is there anything I can do for you? Those kinds of conversations develop habits that we uh, pray are, are lifelong habits. So all of that extracurricular stuff, the, the stuff that's not, um, could never be put online, that's actually the main game. Mm. Um, at the heart of what we do, of course, is a formal program. And the formal program's got to serve those goals 
of uh, of discipling and um, forming people for Christian ministry as well. And I think you're absolutely right to point out that uh, there's been some spectacular failures in recent years in people who belong to um, Christian cultures that are very close to ours. Uh, so there are some things that we've recently introduced into our formal programs uh, to specifically address this. Um, so, I mean, a couple of the things that we're doing, um, we, we've introduced uh, a lot more reflection into our ministry subjects, um, just forcing people to slow down uh, and to think theologically about what they're doing and what their life is like and how those things are being integrated and how authentic they are being as Christian leaders. Mm. Uh, so uh, throughout the all four years, that's a key part of what people will do as they study ministry and mission now. Another part of that is uh, problem-based learning. Uh, so uh, rather than uh, just kind of teaching theories and leaving the students to work out how it applies later on, um, we're wanting to engage people with thinking about ministry scenarios. What, what's ministry like and how do I go about getting equipped to deal with these particular kind of challenges in ministry? And some of them are about ministering to others and some of them are about how I comport myself as a minister, as a leader. What do I do with my life? Um, but learning in that kind of way, we hope, develops a habit that people don't stop learning when they leave college, but they're, they're, they're just heading on a, on a good trajectory of learning for the rest of their lives. So that, that's a bit of a, a, bit of a mind shift. Mm. But the, the biggest thing, the most exciting thing uh, that we've, we're doing, which is really something we've, um, we've developed in-house and pioneered, uh, is a new subject we do called intentional ministry reflection. Uh, and so this is a subject where students uh, will sit in a small group. Uh, it's like a fishbowl exercise. And one student will reflect on a ministry experience that they've just had. So something in their student ministry in their life more broadly. Uh, and we lead them through a formal reflection process. So they have to write it down and they have to think, what are the values that are in all my history that's informing why I responded to things in this kind of way? Um, what are the other theological principles that maybe I'm not considering? Why is this stressing me out so much? What, uh, why am I reacting? Why am I so angry? Why am I so sad about this? Um, so it's, it's a formal process where they'll reflect through that. And key is they'll think about what could I do next? Um, what could I change that would actually help me to, um, to approach this kind of situation better next time? Uh, so they write that all down. We then have a conversation. So one of us uh, will facilitate a student reflecting on that while six of their mates are sitting around watching. Now, that's an incredibly intimate experience. And you get to know one another really well. And it's amazing how, um, how the students are prepared because they do life together. They're prepared to trust one another with, with, with real information, with real uh, sensitive these are the things that I'm really worried about. These are the things that I'm not sure about. Um, the goal, I mean, there's a couple of goals, but the, the big goals that we're looking for in doing that process is that we develop students who are more humble, who, are more, uh, who have a greater capacity for empathy, 
uh, and who are genuinely looking to love others well and often to love others on the fringe. Um, as we kind of pull apart some of the, the big um, you know, road crashes that have happened in evangelical ministry lately, as you, as you pull apart the shipwrecks, it's often that you see that there's a lack of humility, a lack of capacity uh, to be empath uh, empathetic, and a, and a lack of genuine love for others lies at the heart of many of these different train wrecks. Mm. So mm. I think I use road crash, shipwreck, and train wreck. <laughs> Pick your favourite metaphor. Very, They're all adi ugly. very adequate. <laughs> <laughs> that is so helpful, Simon. Simon, it's been so good chatting to you, hearing about your story mm. and hearing about more college. I'm sure there's a lot people have taken away from listening. We like to end our podcast by asking kind of a top tip or golden nugget, a piece of wisdom or advice for people who are thinking about going into ministry at some point, not really sure, trying to discern what to do next. Should I do it? Should I not? Not. What's kind of your mm. tip for that person in mind in light of what we've spoken about today? Sure. Um, look, I want to be really greedy and give you three, actually. Go for it. Let's go for three. <laughs> okay. The, the first one is um, stop thinking about whether you might be in, involved in ministry one day. Uh, if you're not involved in ministry now, going to college is not going to change that. Mm. Get involved in ministry now. So, yes, you might be thinking about a change, but uh, just recognise that everybody ought to be involved in ministry. So get your hands dirty wherever you are. That's the first thing. Second thing is you've got to pray about this. Uh, you, you've got to pray about it. You've got to hold it before the Lord, and you want to pray for guidance, and you want to pray for clarity, uh, and you want to pray through your motives. Uh, why is it that I want to do this? Uh, is it for the glory of God? Is it to build up his kingdom or have I got something else invested in this? So pray searching your own heart in that. And the third thing is um, I want to say consult wise and brave Christian friends. Um, you want to look out for people uh, who are wise and godly um, but who are brave enough to actually tell you the truth and say to them, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Mm. Uh, and you don't want people to just say the nice thing. Oh, yeah, you'll be lovely. It'll be wonderful. Um, it won't be lovely. It will some days. But it, um, the truth is we've all got edges we need knocked off, and it's better to know them mm. early and to know whether they might be disqualifying things. So seek out those friends that are going to be really honest with you. Mm. And uh, if God, under God, this is actually something you, you ought to be doing, uh, can I say, why would you spend your life doing anything else if this was a good idea? Mm. Simon, that's invaluable. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time on the Aspire podcast. Aaron, that's a real <laughs> pleasure. Thanks so much for putting the po podcast out there and for serving uh, people with what you're doing. I really appreciate oh, you're it. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you.